Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 169, air date August 24th, 2017. Hello, good morning everybody. Uh, welcome to the uh, Raw Food webinar. Uh, I have Dr. Shiva on the uh, line as well. Hello, good, good morning, morning everybody. everybody. Uh, welcome to the uh, Yes, uh, good morning everyone. We're going to uh, start. Uh, the seminar is really a webinar and uh, we're broadcasting uh, live on Facebook live periscope as well as YouTube live and what it is is what is raw food and uh, the subtitle is are we as clueless on raw food it's blind men with touch and and eat loads of different things so I'll tell you the background of it there's a movement as many of you may know which really peaked and it's continuing to grow around three or four years ago called the raw food movement and the raw food movement is essentially how people um, are making uh, all different kinds of food um, from you know, the basics of juices which have existed for um, a long time where you're essentially uh, juicing vegetables fruits that's one type of raw food that's sprouted food and over the last 10 years, or 15, starting around this, um, it has really grown into a move where uh, entrepreneurs have started making products that you can buy in stores that are quote-unquote raw food. About three or four years ago, um, I got brought into this because people didn't really know what raw food was. My background is for years, starting probably in the early 90s, I was actually a, um, a raw food enthusiast, um, and my background is I, I invented the first genome as a 14-year-old kid, so I'm a systems guy. Um, went up to MIT, my degree spanned uh, multiple uh, 14-year-old engineering systems. My PhD is in a field called systems biology. So I was actually uh, multiple 14-year-old uh, engineering called in to help facilitate by about 10 So I was actually to help them really understand what is raw food. And the reason this is important is that the industry was starting to grow and retailers like Whole Foods were getting very concerned because packaging was coming in with raw food and no one really knew what raw was. So about three years ago in San Diego, um, 20 of the raw food manufacturers and myself we've met and it was our first meeting um, and I ran uh, and it was essentially the beginning of really trying to help define what R-A-W raw food meant. And it was fascinating when we brought everyone into a room. Uh, we had a whiteboard there and we asked people, what is raw food? And everyone had their different opinion. And like the story that Buddha told of the king who brought in the six blind men with the elephant. And each of the people touched different parts of the elephant and each thought their idea was right. So the man who touched the tail thought he was touching a brush, the man who thought he was touching the feet, thought he was touching a tree trunk, the man who thought he was touching the side of the elephant, thought it was a wall, the man who touched the tusk, thought he was touching a spear, etc. And similar to this, different people had different notions of raw food. Some people thought raw food meant food that were germinated, food that were newly grown, um, that were sprouted food. So, for example, if you sprout an almond or you sprout peas, etc. Other people felt that raw food meant 
foods that were cooked below 118 degrees only, that once you went above 118 degrees, they, the theory was all the enzymes in the uh, food broke down, therefore it was dead food. Um, and like this, everyone had a, fundamentally a religious view of this, and the problem What's that noise? Someone just connected. Yeah, if, you keep, if everybody can uh, keep their uh, phones um, on mute, that'll be great. Yeah. And there'll be some background. Uh, yeah, I think it just went away. So, um, the, so the fundamentals were um, how could we help? Um, Prabhakar, you may just want to go to the International Center for Integrative Systems briefly. So, um, my work in food, um, we have our own research institution called the International Center for Integrative Systems. And Prabhakar, if you click on the, uh, the uh, featured research, you know, that one. We had for years done a lot of work with the technology that I built out of my work at MIT to really understand what was the difference between genetically engineered foods and non-genetically engineered foods. And we had published uh, close to four or five papers. And in that research, Prabhakar, maybe you can just bring up the, the diagram. Um, I think it's in the previous one if you go back. Um, go back. It's in the previous one. Uh, yeah, on the featured, yeah, that one. Um, and what we had found was that genetically engineered foods are significantly different the non-genetically engineered foods. So, for example, on the left side, um, I don't want to be labored with all the science. When we did the modeling uh, of integrating lots and lots of scientific research, we found that in non-GMO soy, for example, formaldehyde is created, but it's, it's uh, eliminated, it's detoxified. Below that, you notice that in, in genetically non-genetically engineered foods and non-GMO foods, you have high levels of glutathione. What we discovered was in genetic engineered soy in particular, the level of glutathione was 250% less. Glutathione is a detoxifier, it's an anti-aging um, chemical, antioxidant, um, and because that's less, um, uh, formaldehyde uh, accumulates. So this was a research we published. It was a pretty seminal piece of research. It caused a lot of waves in the research community. So the International Center for Integrative Systems, Prabhakar, you scroll up, we were really focused on systems approaches um, at, uh, to looking at science. Um, go back, Prabhakar, to the slide. So when we saw this problem, we really wanted to help uh, the raw food community take a much more rational approach to understanding raw food. And it felt like most people um, were religious about it. I mean, yes, it's important to eat good food, but some of the people were religious fanatics meaning they had their viewpoint and they weren't taking a rational approach. So anyway, over a period of six months to nine months, as we, um, it was like herding cats in many ways, as we were trying to herd these diverse opinions um, of trying to define what raw food is, um, we used an approach called multi-criteria decision analysis. Multi-criteria decision analysis. I mean, the term says it all. You're trying to make a decision. There's many criteria involved, and it's a methodology for doing that. And so what we did was we asked um, people, the involved people, the stakeholders, uh, including Whole Foods was involved retailers, um, what was their definition of raw food? And we put it up on a whiteboard. And over a period of time, we honed it down to three particular criteria. It seems like everyone could agree that raw food on the bottom left was minimally processed. Uh, minimally processed, particularly relating to heat. 
So it's a broad definition, but that was sort of one thing that emerged from it. The second was bioavailability of nutrients, which means everyone was talking about enzyme content. As many of you know, enzymes are the important chemicals um, that actually support biological function. They're called catalysts, um, which um, support digestion, etc. So when you overcook foods, overprocess foods, you have less amount of enzymes. Um, and, and the third part was safety. For retailers like a Whole Foods, if anyone on the phone calls a manufacturer of a raw food product, you put it on the shelf. Let's say someone gets hurt by it, someone gets sick. Well, that could affect the entire category. So safety, minimally processed, and bioavailability of nutrients emerged as the three pillars of what people were uh, considering raw food. But we wanted to add a little more guts to this so and link it to the word raw. So next, so we said, okay, let's define raw as real, alive, and whole. R for the real, A for the alive, and whole. And given that platform of safety, minimally processed, we basically mapped the concept of raw back to those four So this notion of raw, you could get 100 points. And if you got 80 points or more, you could be certified raw. That's what emerged from a lot of these discussions going back and forth. By the way, in the United States, standards can develop in two ways. One is top-down that the government imposes a standard like the USDA or bottoms-up. The government actually prefers, believe it or not, standards to come from stakeholders bottoms-up. A lot of the national and international standards are driven by committees of people, which is a good thing. So getting back to this, so when we looked at the real and raw, given we were going for safety um, as well as minimally processed, the, you could, if, the pro, if the product is safe, and by the way, there's a whole criteria for safety, how it's made in the kitchen, cleanliness, uh, control points, certificates of um, uh, you know, ingredients, um, as well as GMP, good manufacturing practices. And this was all documented in a standards document. So if you were safe, you got 25 points. If you were unsafe, you got zero. So it was almost like a one or a zero. Um, pretty much there was a general consensus among all the stakeholders. People wanted, um, people wanted non-GMO. Uh, Prabhakar, I just got a message. People are saying that we're echoing. Um, I, I, I hear fine. Um, maybe yeah. I just, okay. Yeah, I, I don't hear an echo myself. Um, so, um, so non-GMO was the other criteria. Um, so if, if all the ingredients were non-GMO, 25, if any of them were not non-GMO, zero. So you could get a total of 50 points there. Next, the final one was the second one was alive, which was for really the bioavailability, what people call enzymatically bioactive. And this was an interesting one because people basically were hand-waving on this. What we did was we applied some of the science that we had developed in Cytosolve and bioinformatics to help out, and you could get a range of 0 to 20 here. Next, so I'll give you an example. So if this is um, Brad's raw crunchy kale chips, one of the first ones we did the certification on, this could have... Uh, for example, multiple ingredients, 10 or 12 ingredients here. Per the standard for each one of these ingredients, we identified 
the top three or four molecules, as, as you'll see in this slide, uh, that are in the actual ingredient from the bioinformatics. So kale has vitamin C, beta carotene, lutein, uh, diastrophan, cat. I think someone else is the host, Rebecca. Are you the host? Uh, yes. I will okay. try to meet other people. So, um, okay. That's what I can do. So these are the different molecules in this particular product. And based on the weight of it and the composition, we're able to calculate, next slide, using uh, the science, food science, the actual, uh, and knowing how this is processed, a graph on the bottom axis is the different temperatures that the, in this case, the food was processed at around 150, 50 degrees, 150. And we're able to look at the bioavailability because we know certain proteins break down at different temperatures. So we, for this product, we're able to uh, model a bioavailability curve. So you notice at 120 degrees and less, in fact, food does break down, but it doesn't break down to zero as some of the religious um, people in the raw food community have thought. It actually, in this case, breaks down around 80% until you hit about 150 degrees. And then after that, it breaks down at 160. Uh, it, it sort of falls over some time at 180 degrees to 60% bioavailability. This product was done at 150, so it's at 80% bioavailability. 80% of the score of total 20 would give them 16 points. Next. And then finally, you have W, which whole, which we recognize by two subcriteria, organic, which could have a range, and nutrient density, where we use the ANDI score to calculate. The point being that some products cannot even be designated as organic, so you don't want to nick people, um, and you want to focus on uh, nutrient dense. So at the end of the day, next slide, you could get a total of um, 100 points, if you got 80 points or above, um, you were considered raw. Next slide. And this became the basis of a international standard which we presented at Expo West. We have a committee um, which reviews this. We get new criteria from the marketplace and we update it. Um, now you notice we also have certified clean. One of the things that happened was when we presented this at uh, Expo West, people really loved what we had done uh, the center had done for raw, and they said, you know, I'm a manufacturer. I don't really want to use the word raw because it gives the wrong meaning. It's really well known in the raw food community. Uh, is there some other terminology you could use? So this went into another six months of a lot of discussion next, and we recognized that people were essentially looking for a different term because there were certain companies which were following these practices, but they didn't want to be isolated into the raw food uh, category. So we also came up with the term clean, and clean uses the exact same criteria as Prabhakar will point out. The conscious, the C in clean, refers to conscious, where we say we want to make things safe. And that's again 025. It could also uh, um, have the second category, organic, which means it's live, um, you know, it's not with pesticides. That's got a range of 0 to 20. The ethical, which means we're not screwing around with Mother, mother Nature. Uh, it's non-GMO, that's a 0 or 25. 
the active is the bioavailability score again, zero to 25, and the nutrition they use in the Andy score. The key thing when you look at this and the raw is we've come up with a holistic way uh, beyond just organic or beyond just uh, non-GMO or beyond just safety to holistically give a score. And we're, we're not saying it's perfect, but defining from the time the food, the ingredients are picked to the time it um, appears on the shelf to give a holistic understanding of uh, the value of that food for human consumption, meaning it's organic, it's safe, it's non-GMO, it's bioavailable, and it's nutritionally dense. You know, what's fascinating about this, you know, having grown up in India, having studied a lot of traditional medicines, traditional foods were also followed the same practice. They were conscious, meaning people, you know, like in India, for example, or most traditional cultures, people don't eat raw food because it's going to have a lot of parasites in it. So food is either steamed or minimally processed, slow-cooked. So that's the safety. Uh, food is predominantly organic because most people can't afford pesticides. Um, most people cannot afford non-GMO. However, uh, Monsanto and other companies are obviously trying to move into the developing nations, trying to convince them they need non-GMO, which is also, by the way, a false narrative. Uh, foods are always done to be absorbable into the body and nutritionally done. So in many ways, we're going back to the future that really understand uh, what's good for us. Um, at least in a holistic way. Next. Um, so, um, for example, people are now labeling this. For example, Hail Mary will use certified raw if they're in the raw food aisle. However, if you buy them at Walmart or Costco, you'll see the clean because that's more accessible to the average person. So both standards, um, both labels are using the same standard, but we give um, manufacturers a choice how they want to use it. Next. So uh, what I want to end with is, if people are interested, there is a clean food certified website, which is part of the International Center for Innovative Systems. It lists the details of it. Uh, if people want to get certified, you can literally go up there, make a contact. Um, you can load up your information. Uh, we have a web portal for doing this. And um, we now have close to 500 uh, uh, different uh, uh, SKUs. Uh, and, and lots of different manufacturers who are signing up. And we've created a community as a movement where when people sign up, the different manufacturers actually share on social media new products that are coming out. I'm going to stop here, and we can take some questions. I don't have people chatting with me online. Um, I'm seeing coming to join me, which I can see questions. Okay, someone's asking, um, one of the questions is, um, when do the foods have to be, um, the ingredients have to be non-GMO? And the answer is, per the current standard, yes. The foods have to be non-GMO. Now, what's important to understand is the full organic seal not the 70%, but the 100% organic seal. If people get that, that means it is already uh, non-GMO. Um, the other thing to remember is there are foods uh, which, as of now, cannot be genetically engineered or are not being genetically engineered. So um, there are certain foods that, uh, you know, for example, corn is clearly genetically engineered. Soy is. I'm not sure if blueberries are genetically engineered. So if you have 
a blueberry, it can get a non-GMO seal, but does not mean it's organic unless it gets the organic um, seal. Oh, someone's asking what is the cost uh, uh, of doing this, and someone just asked, are clean and raw mutually exclusive? Um, uh, me meaning one or the other. So that's a good question. That's, that's coming from Nick. So clean and raw um, um, can be, so if someone gets certified raw, um, that also includes a clean seal. I think if someone gets does not want to do the, the raw essentially is higher standards the, the only slight difference is clean we let people go to a higher temperature is that right for i think we let you go to 212 or above right yes that's right yeah so the raw is more focused on keeping the temperature maximum at 212 that's only the subtle difference um, but if someone gets raw certified they can also get the clean seal if someone just wants clean does not mean they're always going to get the raw seal unless uh, the ingredients are below 212. Um, someone asked, what is the cost of doing this? Um, we can do an example. We actually have a little calculator. Prabhakar, should we do it on the site? Or I think we do it on your spreadsheet, right? Let's do it on your spreadsheet. By the way, these are a list of some of the companies who've, who've been uh, certified. Um, what does it take? You know, when we built the... Um, the pricing we did, you know, this is a nonprofit um, service. We did it in many ways as a labor of love to really help the industry, but we had to actually charge something because there is cost to operate this. So um, there are four parameters which figure out the cost. So first is you may have a product which is manufactured at a, a particular plant. Sometimes companies have multiple sites. Um, they use different contract manufacturers. So the first thing is how many sites, because that relates to the um, safety issue, because we have to ensure that those places are following safety standards. So let's assume there's one site only for, let's say there's a blueberry cookie and nut product. Um, the second thing is how many products are there? When the blueberry cookie nut product, maybe there's variations, meaning in one case I'm using cashew nuts, in another case I'm using sunflower seeds, in another case I'm using almonds. So that would be three different products. Let's put three there. Um, in our analysis, we look at how many unique ingredients a manufacturer is using. In that case, it would be a blueberry, cashew, sunflower, and almonds, which would mean four unique ingredients. And the last thing, so Prabhakar, let's do four. And the last thing is the size of the company. We today have companies which are getting raw or clean certified, which are $10,000 revenue companies all the way to companies which are, you know, doing $50 million. So let's say a company's doing, uh, uh, you know, uh, two million in revenue. So what that number says, that's for both certifications, six hundred sixty dollars for all three products for two certifications. So it's roughly two hundred twenty dollars per uh, certification per product. Uh, so you may, I'm sorry, two certifications per product. If someone opted, I just want raw or clean, they get a twenty and discount, which is 528, and it's 176. So just to, just to explain this, go down, we wanted to make it inclusive, so there's a factor that gets applied. The larger companies essentially are paying more than the companies which are lower in revenue.
so that's how the uh, pricing is calculated. And um, again, this is done as a service. Um, we're talking now to a bunch of larger organizations who want to take this global all sorts of standards. What other questions? Here's a question. Um, uh, one of the questions is, uh, do we do products that are um, based on seaweed? It's a great question um, because um, there are certain manufacturers we recently signed up, one who creates an algae product um, and an, uh, actually coming out of Iceland and a, another product which is a um, algae product which is essentially seaweed, the uh, seaweed product. And what's interesting is um, there are very few organic standards right now, for example, seaweed that's harvested because it's hard to determine organic or non-organic from the ocean, per se. Um, but we do have two seaweed products, and in the standard, we had to add some provisions for being able to handle foods that are coming from the ocean. One of the side questions in this, what do we do with um, wild um, foods like salmon, uh, if someone wants to get, let's say, wild salmon versus the, as some of you may know, there's a genetically engineered salmon out there right now. And this brings up a larger question, is what happens if these products start mixing together? Meaning a genetically engineered salmon escapes from its hatchery and, uh, you know, breeds with a wild salmon, uh, what happens there? And this is the fundamental problem with genetic engineered foods because you could easily have contamination uh, occurring very, very easily, which is what really helps the genetic engineering manufacturers because then everything becomes genetically engineered overnight. All right. I have a question from Nick. Uh, how long are these uh, certificates valid? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so the certifications are valid for one year. Um, um, and then each year, people renew their certification. Every year, you know, we are watching the scientific literature, um, and we constantly review them, we update. We also, um, as a organization for quality, we have the right to audit during any one year to ensure that uh, people are, uh, you know, being compliant. And during, and we do a random audit uh, during that process, and our committee meets uh, twice a year to refine the standards. So it's for one year, Nick. Um, again, um, we typically like to do these seminars for half an hour because we know it's in the middle of the day, people are very busy, so we're coming down in a half an hour. Unless there are any other questions, just want to let you know that it's cleanfoodcertified.org or rawfoodcertified.org. Um, Please um, take your time to go to those websites, um, and you can email us also. And uh, we do um, typically events uh, and presentations every day with manufacturers all over the world. And again, what we feel that we've done here is really redefine what is good food using principles of science, which in closing, interesting enough, matches the principles of traditional foods of thousands of years ago, which means minimally processed safe and high bioavailability of nutrients. Thank you very much. This is Dr. Shiva Yadurai.
from the International Center for Integrated Systems.